You are listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. This talk was given at 2007 Frankfurt Avenue. For more information, visit us at circleofhope.net. Hey friends, welcome again. I'm Johnny. I use he, him pronouns. Let's begin by reading from the Bible. This is from John 11. And Luke's going to help a volunteer read the passage out loud. So if someone is willing to read this, make yourself known, and we'll work with the text after that. When Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she knelt at his feet and said to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was greatly disturbed in spirit and deeply moved. He said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus began to weep. So the Jews said, See how he loved him? But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, again greatly disturbed, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone was lying against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, already there is a stench, because he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would have seen the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus looked upward and said, Father, I thank you for having heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I have said this for the sake of the crowd standing here, so that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet bound with strips of cloth on his face wrapped in a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Thank you, Laura. Let's pray before we keep going. Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable to you, O Lord, rock and my redeemer. Amen. Can we get the Rembrandt up? I like painting. It's from the dead. So tomorrow and today, tomorrow and the day after we celebrate All Saints Day, All Souls Day, this trivium of holidays, Celebrate the memory of the dead, whether they were in our families or in our tradition. And we remember those who have come before us, and we grieve their death as we remember their lives. In many ways, it's a sorrowful holiday. But within it, there are moments of joy as we remember the good in each of our lives. The goodness that accompanies our grief does not make up for the enemy that death is. And even though as Christians we are promised eternal life through the power of Jesus on the cross, death is still a present menace and a present enemy. Death, in other words, is not a good thing even for those of us promised eternal life. Death is an enemy. And when people we love and know depart, 
it's always painful. Maybe this seems obvious to people who are alive, but Christians, because of their eternal, their promise of eternal life, God's promise of eternal life to them, sometimes we can avoid the grief of death. And in some, let's say, toxic Christian circles, death can be championed. Look at this headline from a conservative publication this week that I saw. For Christians, dying from COVID or anything else is a good thing. That kind of startled me. That sort of horrifying celebration of death, I would say, is an insult to the work of Jesus, the defeater of death, because Jesus has made an enemy of death. Our work as Christians is to preserve life, to resurrect life, to extend life, to give life. That's what we do as followers of the defeater of death. So on this summer day of reflection on the dead, as we remember our dead and all the good they brought to us in the church, our grief moves us towards liberating and redemptive and life-giving action today. But grief must precede liberation. We need to feel the pain in order to experience the relief. Don't skip the pain. Don't skip the crucifixion. We need to feel the oppression of death before we can imagine its liberation. As we do anti-racist work, as a church, there are a lot of white siblings who want to skip to the joy of the new creation and the new humanity without feeling the pain that their black and brown siblings feel in the present moment. Worse, confronted with the pain they have sometimes been complicit in, white siblings speak about their discomfort before understanding brown siblings feel. This premature celebration of life before liberation is unlikely, is not unlike saying during COVID-19 that death is a good thing, as the aforementioned headline suggested. So we look to our Lord who shows us how to enter into death in all of its grief, even though he is equipped with the power to resurrect and to give life. The account from John of the resurrection of Lazarus is the final sign in the book of John, the Gospel of John, and transitions us to a narrative of the death of Jesus of Nazareth. Mary's tears are for her brother. She feels the pain. The emotion of this story is what I want to focus on because it is so evocative. Right when Jesus arrives in Bethany, where some of his best friends live, people he loves, Mary runs up to him weeping and telling Jesus, if he were here sooner, then he could have healed her brother who died of a terminal illness. Jesus is known as a healer. 
and these intimate friends know that more than most. She's crying because she is perceiving inaction from her rabbi and her Lord. Jews gathered there were weeping following Mary. And this disturbs and moves Jesus. One translation, he groaned in his spirit and yielded himself to turmoil. Another commentator notes that the word for moved here is very strong, and maybe even the strongest emotion to describe Jesus. Jesus is disturbed. Jesus is angry. And he shares in the grief of the Jews and of Martha. And I want to pause there and emphasize the rage that Jesus shares with the people grieving and how Jesus also grieves. He even asks where the burial site is so that he can grieve with the grief-stricken at the site. And they bring him to the grave and he weeps. He joins the grief. In his anger, in his tears, he evidences his love, feeling heartache, feeling anger, feeling sadness at the death. At death is a sign of love. We grieve death because we love life. We love the living. We love the people near to us. Grief is a sign of mutual love. Love brings us together as we mourn. And the Jewish people gathered there declare how he loved his friend. If you read at the start of the chapter, John 11, 1 through 6, in verse 4, you see that Jesus knows that the illness of Lazarus won't result in death, but he weeps and is still greatly dis disturbed. His emotions are complex. Let's read it real quick. I'll read it to you this time. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. Mary was the one who anointed the Lord with perfume and wiped his feet with her hair. Her brother Lazarus was ill, and so the sisters sent a message to Jesus. Lord, he whom you love is ill. And, but when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. Rather, it is for the glory of God, for God's glory, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Accordingly, though Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, after having heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Lazarus' sister send a message to Jesus about their brother's illness. And he declares that his illness won't lead to death, but rather to God's glory. Not only will Jesus raise Lazarus, but the very act of raising him will result in his arrest and his charge and his conviction and his crucifixion. This is the moment that the narrative changes. They see what they, he can do, and then he's killed. Therefore, it is purposed literarily and spiritually to lead to glory. When Jesus hears this, he stays. He's in a place called Perea for two days, and he delays his travel despite the urgent request from Mary and Martha. The family needs him quickly, and he delays. 
God has a long-term plan for Lazarus' suffering. And Jesus is being obedient. But it just a few days longer. Right after this, he leaves for Bethany in Judea. After those two days. And his disciples warn him about traveling since there are Jews there who want to stone him. But he finally goes. It may seem cruel that Jesus would delay his travel, but he did so for glory, maybe for his own safety too. Because the, he wanted to be, they wanted to stone him too. Maybe to But for what it's worth, Jesus' delay did not prolong Lazarus' suffering, nor did it result in Lazarus' death. In fact, Lazarus is dead by the time the message gets to Jesus. When Jesus announces that Lazarus' illness won't result in death, Lazarus has already died. When he arrives to Bethany, Martha tells him, Lazarus has been dead for four days. When he's in Perea for two days, after he hears the message, and it takes a day to get down to Bethany. So it took him three days, essentially, to get there. But by the time he gets there, Lazarus has been dead for four. And so the message got to Jesus, and Lazarus was already dead. holds his grief in Perea before traveling. He's distressed and angry and frustrated. When he arrives, the sisters are mad that he doesn't get there sooner. Jesus is torn apart. He delayed. He could have come to comfort these women. He is distressed himself. He's upset by the lack of faith in them. He's conflicted. There's a lot of emotion happening. But he enters into that emotion. He enters into the suffering. Despite being able to defeat death, Jesus still grieves death. Jesus shows us the essentiality of shared grief to our common struggle and our common pursuit of life. Jesus has the power to resurrect, but still grieve. God relates to our suffering despite... God relates to our suffering despite an ontological chasm between creature and created, between God... God shares in our grief despite being able to transcend it. Despite being able to defeat death, Jesus still grieves with victims of death. Willie Jennings talks about shared fury. The demonstra- Jesus demonstrates here that we might demonstrate with our black and brown siblings Here's Jennings. I've had so many dear friends, really dear friends, well-meaning all of them, call me or text me or email me this week. This was the week after George Floyd's murder. With their condolences, each in their own way saying to me, I can't imagine what you're feeling right now. Jennings goes on to say, yes, you can. My anger is shareable. Indeed, one of the most stubborn barriers to overcoming this racial world is the refusal of so many people to take hold of black anger. It is a particular sickness of whiteness that invites people to imagine themselves as spectators of racial suffering. 
and observers of black pain who are allowed to feel only assorted forms guilt. Those of us who are Christian, we should know better. God wants us to hate what God hates. God invites us into a shared fury. Jesus does that right here in Bethany. Before resurrecting Lazarus, he grieves and he weeps and he remains greatly disturbed as he approaches the tomb. He asks for the tomb to be rolled away and Mary tells him it's a bad idea because of the stench in the tomb. Saying once again that Lazarus is dead. Jews used spices to keep odors down. Not like the Egyptians who would uh, of doing it and after four days Lazarus has an odor Mark is telling us Lazarus is dead dead Martha's doubt shows up invariably and shows us that we can doubt too. Even though she is closely and regularly interacting with Jesus, she wonders. Jesus values, especially in the Gospel of John, having faith without having sight. Those who believe without seeing demonstrate greater faith, but Martha doesn't yet believe, and we can't blame her. But that's what makes the miracle so much more powerful. After Jesus declares that they will see the glory of God, they take, the, they, they take the stone away and Jesus prays to the Father. He showcases that the power to resurrect comes from above. It comes from God, if you will. That God is, Jesus is one with God. But demonstrating to the crowd around him that God is the one doing this. And he's demonstrating out loud so that the doubters around him who may also be fueling his anger and his grief know the unity of the Father and the Son here. And he does the same thing when he yells out loud for Lazarus to come out. He yells out loud so that people know what's happening. And Jesus calls Lazarus to come out, and he never touches him. Still operating within the, the, the uh, Jewish purity law that doesn't touch the dead. And then the dead man emerges. You see, death flees Jesus. No longer. Does Jesus, a Jewish rabbi, need to flee death? In the Jewish law, there are laws about avoiding death. You can't touch a corpse. You can't touch a leper who kind of looks like a corpse in some ways. You also can't touch... Uh, bodily fluids, reproductive fluids, if you will. They deal with life, too. There's, there's, these are forces of death that Jesus, in his previous life, would avoid, and now they avoid him. They run away from him. Death runs away from Jesus. He approaches it, and it runs away. The spirit of death leaves Lazarus's body, and Jesus finally instructs the people to unbind him of death. This story is a miracle that will send Jesus into his own death and is that the highest moment of his ministry. Jesus conquers death and foreshadows how he will for all of us. 
But despite that, he enters fully into grief and mourning and loss. Despite being able to defeat death, despite knowing that he will resurrect, Jesus still enters into the grief of Lazarus' death, and, will, and you will see later of his own death, because in showing us, no, you still need to grieve death. This moment, this weekend, is a moment to grieve together. I emphasize the importance of grief here because we may want to skip over it because we're anticipating resurrection and we want to celebrate life. There is a moment for that too, but I want to sit with the enemy of death and see its power and grieve what it does and then work to create a community of life motivated by the example of the cloud of witnesses that Jordan was telling us about that preceded us See how they brought life and resurrection on the earth. We grieve death and we rage against death and we bring life and resurrect life. If you want to know where sin is, where evil is, where the devil is, look at the places of death. Grieve them and work with God and one another to overcome them because we worship the conqueror of death. We follow in his example and offering life and participating in the resurrection. Anti-racism is about fighting death and oppression. So how we have positioned ourselves and are trying to position ourselves as a church to look for racism in our institution and outside of it is absolutely the work of grieving death and giving life. That's just one example. But any mode of anti-oppression is indeed the Christian life that Jesus calls us to live here. Feel the grief and then be moved to give life. We grieve and rage against death because we love life. And we follow the one who grants us eternal life. And we follow him in the conquest of death and in the giving of life. Amen. Thanks for listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. If you want to talk about it or get connected to a cell, you can find one under our Connect drop-down at circleofhope.net.